and welcome to this podcast. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Hello and thanks for listening. Hi everybody, thanks for joining us and as always a huge thank you to all of you who have sent your questions in. We've got uh, a lovely mix of questions today. I think when our questions are coming through now we're getting a, a lovely mix which is just wonderful so thank you ever so much. Um, so it is May 2018 and obviously there is new legislation coming in which is uh, GDPR and we've had a question about that no surprise um, but interesting we've only had one so don't worry we're not going to have a whole podcast dedicated to that subject but um, I think what will enable us to do is perhaps give you a couple of top tips um, in regards to just one element. So so that will be good. We've then had questions um, about um, treatment options. So we've got a dentist here who's just been on an amazing course. How can they perhaps promote more treatment options in relation to that training? And we've got a question about consent forms, medical history forms, about patients that fail appointments when they're on membership. That's a good one. Um, we've got one that's quite interesting here about um, the hygienists and the way that the hygienists are currently working in a practice, uh, our advice on that, and also a question about whitening as well. So we've got quite a few to get through uh, in this podcast. So we'll start with the um, GDPR question. So the question that has come through is, in light of the new legislation, we have been looking into Clinipad. However, we do not feel it's appropriate to implement this into our practice at this time. Does this mean that we are going to have to record everything on paper? A question mark, a few explanation marks as well. Just for those of you who are not sure, Clinipad is a tablet-based system that links to Software of Excellence Exact. So um, if you are not on that system, you, you may not have ever heard of the word Clinipad before. So just to confirm what, what a Clinipad is. Now, the simple answer is yes, uh, you are going to have to use paper. And for Mike and I, we, we are finding it actually quite surprising that the management have looked at GDPR, but the team members aren't necessarily even aware of changes that are coming into place. So, you know, one top tip straight away is that you do need to have a team meeting to explain about all the changes that are going to come in. So, you know, if you haven't got one scheduled, you need to get it scheduled pretty quickly um, to ensure that everyone's working in the correct systems going forward. And then if we talk about uh, this person, uh, this person's question, um, getting patients to sign. So what we're talking about here is patients signing to consent for different ways in which you can contact them and you are going to have to do this by a document and there's going to be tick boxes and there's going to be a signature on it as well but it's really important that you look at what you've got on this tick list and make sure it's very clear that there's not any sort of disparities because we have gone through a form and we've added bits in haven't we Michael that we're saying to our clients oh don't miss this off make this bit quite clear so I'll hand over to you now Mike and you can explain a little bit further. Yeah, you've explained that really well. So, I mean, there's many aspects to GDPR. So we're only talking about the aspect today about communication of consent 
um, form and actually ask, confirm with the patients how they want to be communicated with about different aspects of your practice. So we are very aware, Laura and I, that there are many aspects to uh, GDPR and this is only one aspect. But it's going to be an important change for the front desk. Um, as we all know, change feels uncomfortable, feels overwhelming, um, in a way we've got lots of other forms going through at the moment. So my top tip is, I think this communication consent form can be mixed with actually confirming who the patients want to nominate as well to have communication either spoken about or sent to in terms of you may have husband and wife that want to talk about each other's appointments so i think this is an opportunity to actually amalgamate a couple of forms here um because you'll have this form going on already about you know nominating a friend or family member um or somebody that's you know, as uh, in charge of somebody's uh, capacity and welfare. So you might have that already ongoing. So I think just pop that into the same form so you're not presenting the patient with two further pieces of paperwork and it's only one. Then you need to really explain the form with a confident and positive manner. I think it's really nice to reconfirm how patients wanted me to communicate it to and how they want that to happen because it will stop all of the practices communicating on what we think is right for the patient and what may irritate some patients like you know a phone call uh, remind when they don't want one for an example i think this really gives you clarification of how the patient does want to be communicated in so uh, we've got we've narrowed it down to four areas i think the ones that are being promoted are email phone and text message but i just want to uh, say that i think you should put letter on there as a communication because it's a formalized method um, and you might have some patients that really do appreciate a letter communication especially the the older people as well but there also might be um moving forward a time where you do want to do some marketing and if a patient has ticked a necessary box again you might want to do that as a letter format and not through email you know it's just something to think about then you've got four further tick boxes which is i'd like to receive important practice announcements and updates and maybe a newsletter so yes or no box of that i'd like to receive some details of practice services and promotions so separating practice services promotions definitely think that's a great idea um you would need a box for actually patients receiving feedback and practice surveys and i would definitely be saying to the front desk you know, the patients need to be ticking this box, don't they? So that actually you do continue to see feedback and you can keep um, doing patient surveys, you know, which the CQC uh, want you to do and it's part of their guidelines. And lastly, one that Laura and I've talked about is actually, we don't actually talk about how the patients want to communicate it by for their appointment. So I think you need a separate box for that. And we literally just write, I'd like to receive confirmation for appointments made um, at our practice. And then you've got the ticks above, which is either letter, email, phone or text. And then if they've ticked all four, just say, have you got a primary uh, one that you want to be contacted for, for confirmation of the appointment? Um, alongside doing, you know, is there anybody else that you would like us to communicate your information to? on that same form and you, you you put in the details about that too i actually think this is quite a nice part of the gdpr don't you think laura i think this is quite a positive yeah. part actually i think it is and we were discussing it on um, a course that we were running just last week because people are sort of fretting about it but isn't it a great opportunity really just to clarify how people want to be communi uh, communicated to whether that's you know your just even your reminder system 
there are so many practices that are still ringing patients and it's taking such a huge amount of time with the front desk team every day, leaving messages, people ringing back, clogging up phone lines. And you know, the majority of people, and I appreciate the maturer people may like a phone call, um, particularly if they're maybe, you know, 17 above. Um, however, yeah, the majority cool. of people are, are probably just going to tick that they want an email or a text message. And I know, obviously, Michael and I are very young. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but we'd tick email. We would tick a text message for reminder of appointments because we can't stand it when people yeah, actually ring us anyway. So I think it's a really good opportunity to refresh. And- yeah, and I think it- in terms of um, confirmation of appointments, I think it really is about the ownership of the patient. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've both been in practice and a patient said, well, you haven't called me to remind me of my appointment or I didn't receive your text message or I've not had your email. And therefore, the reason why I failed today's appointment is because it was your failure as a practice to remind me, you know, in the way that I want to be or I've missed it. So if somebody has just ticked a text message and you know, you've got confirmation that message has been sent, then actually, in terms of a patient, you've done what they've asked you to do. And therefore, you can go move ahead with your cancellation, failure to attend policies, I think with a lot more confidence now, because actually, you've done the clarification, and actually, you can use this clarification um, with some of your other systems that I've just mentioned. Yeah. And if the patient has not ticked any boxes, and they've signed the form, that means, you know, they don't want to be confirmed to in any way whatsoever. So on their on their head be it, as it were. So hopefully there's just a few top tips to help you with that one element. But just to reiterate, it is very important that owners, managers, you're scheduling a team meeting to make sure everyone's up to date because we can see in courses that we're running that there is a clear disparity. At the moment, we've got a management course running and everyone on there is aware of what's happening. They're very much on the ball with it right from when that course started in February. Whereas on a course that we did last week, which had many more team members on it, there was like, oh, what's this change? What's that change? And so you do need to get a clear communication over to everyone because patients might be asking you as well and you've really got to be slick with it. Right, we're going to yeah, Oh, sorry, Michael. It's <laughs> going to be in the news, isn't it, over the next you know few weeks oh. with the ending date. So, uh, absolutely. So, yeah. um, you know, just again, if you're unsure, because uh, we're definitely going to get a question about that, then you, this is the, the reason to be connected with the right people. Um, mm. And we, you know, we're big fans of code. We think they they make it, you know, really clear. There's lots of clarity about what's expected um, of you and lots of documents that they've done that, you know, both Laura and I have read through already. So, you know, there are people that can help you. So if you are unclear, then, you know, do seek the appropriate um, people because, you know, you want to be uh, safe in practice. Absolutely. And I'll just add to that because it's a really good point, Michael, to please be um, looking at um, people that are supporting the dental profession because there is so, so much legislation that's already in place anyway for the dental profession. So whereas you might be finding you're being targeted online for adverts for GDPR and this and that, um, you know, listen to this lawyer speak, listen to this person, I would have your primary focus on a dental um 
specialist really a company that can support you and the ICO is very clear that you have to contact your profession's preferred advice they're not going to give advice per profession as it were so you know don't don't get hung up listening to a four-hour webinar on a from a lawyer who's speaking to companies that have never done anything like this before so just just be aware go to like code obviously bda are there to help you as well there's, there's loads but you know if you, you most of you probably already signed up with someone so contact them get their help and support they'll already have it there for you the next question then um the principal dentist um at our practice has recently been to an amazing course on dentures how can we promote our practice as a great place for this treatment well isn't it lovely michael to hear of a dentist that's passionate about dentures that's that's lovely to hear i have to say say <laughs> it is unusual but but yeah there are you know i still meet dentists that that do like dentures and the increase of a denture but uh, it is rare isn't it (laughs) it is but I think you know if you're looking at high-end dentures it's it's quite exciting isn't it so I would say you know there's a a few things firstly um to look at I mean there's the basics isn't there your website needs to be updated make sure that's clearly on there but the great thing about dentures is that the treatment is completed relatively quickly so I would make sure if this is a new treatment to the practice that you are doing something that a lot of dentists fail to do and that is to take pre-op photographs so a full set of pre-op photographs so that you can immediately start building case studies Every dentist has done it. They've finished a case. They think, wow, that's amazing. They take the post-op pictures, but there's actually nothing to compare it to because you didn't do pre-op. So definitely take your pre-op photos and get some case studies together. And you should be letting your website company that you're working with to optimize your website, you should be letting them know that actually this is a big you know, clinical change in direction. This is the market that you're after because they need to help and support you with amendments to the website to get those people to contact you. Um, it might be worth talking to them about maybe doing some AdWords as well. But you've really got to address your market you know patients that are having dentures are much more mature and so you do need to address your market and you need to think about your patient experience in line with that market as well um you know are these mature patients more likely to walk in than ring well they are aren't they and mike you've got a great um example of a lady once didn't you who walks in off the street for dentures yeah and because I was available as a treatment coordinator my front desk team identified quite quickly this patient did want to have a chat about her situation which was the fact that she was unhappy with the dentures that she got and um, I mean fortunately for us we, we we had a clinical dental technician at my practice so we were able to have a chat about you know creating something that's bespoke for her that we spend a lot of time it is talking about the experience so if you you know if you I mean, this person that has done this call is very passionate about dentures. You need to be giving unique selling points about why you're passionate about dentures, what you bring differently to the table, uh, what your approach is to them, how you do bespoke them, and, you know, what courses you've been on to um, get you to the level that is different to other practices. 
And I think, you know, one of the things that you know I've learned working alongside a clinical dental technician is actually it's about providing the amount of time for these patients. The, these patients do need a lot more communication. They need a lot more reassurance. They need a lot more reassurance around changes that are going to happen. We all know that if a patient is used to um, you know, a, a set of dentures for many years that, you know, they aren't going to move uh, that easily. That transition needs to be managed. And you do need to build all that time into your fees. That's the other area that I just want to confirm as well that yes okay on paper you could do 15 minute appointments for each stage of a denture but actually we we did um, six half an hour appointments with our patients on our denture journey and we charge an appropriate fee for the practice looking at you know a um, thousand to fourteen hundred pounds for a full set of dentures depending on obviously teeth choices and you know color match and all those kind of things um, but it is important that actually you know if you're going to do something bespoke for somebody like you know like dentures or let's just put a suit analogy in for example there's a difference between you know buying something off the wall and having something created so that the lines are nice for your body and the curvatures and all those kind of things um it's a different experience and you have to be patient and you know i think if you get that right then you know you can move uh, patients forward obviously you need to have a great relationship with your lab so that the lab are you know meeting the requirements that you're verbalizing so um, again it's why it's easier for the clinical dental technicians isn't it because they don't promise what they can't deliver but you do need to have that you know working relationship with the lab and that could be a unique selling point we always talk about unique selling points of the relationship with the lab and you know the results that you get and as Laura said if you do some before and after cases and you do some verbal proof stories around patients that have had this service then patients are more likely remember these patients are going to be emotional patients um they've obviously been on an emotional journey so you know that, that's always something to you know be aware of and also tap into not from a negative point of view but from a positive point of view because they do want to talk about it well that's my experience so they want to talk about it as well and of course if practices are you know implant orientated as well that you know the there's obvious uh, options to talk about um, functional improvements uh, you know by using implants uh, with dentures as well so you know the world's your oyster in this environment and again I think you know actually dentures are becoming quite a niche market in practice that are really concentrating hard on this area are getting some amazing results uh, and the reason for that is because they are taking the due amount of time and you know these patients recommend others to have that type of service and these patients have normally not invested in their mouth for a long time either Right. So um, it is a one-off purchase, so they're not concerned that their denture was like three hundred pounds in, you know, nineteen eighty-eight or whatever it may be. Um, so you need to be confident about your fees and what the patients get in, because it will be a jump for these patients, you know, uh, financially as well. Since the last time, you know, they had a denture. I hope that helps. Anyway. Yeah, I think we've covered that quite comprehensively. I would say. So um, on to the next one, which is quite a quick one. I'll hand it straight over to you, Michael. Um, failed membership appointments. Are they counted as missed ones? A simple answer is yes, but off you go, Michael. 
Well, yes, they are. You just need to have the, the right system. And what I say to practices about um, people not arriving for appointments or arriving late is it you've allowed this culture to happen where patients can arrive late. And, you know, the cancellation of failure system is not actually to charge patients. Laura and I are really clear on this. It's not about getting a fee. I think practices get really hung up on, you know, um, well, as long as we've got like enough money to cover that appointment, then it's all right. Well, actually, it's not all right because it's actually about stopping patients from going it is acceptable for you to be late and that goes back to it's not acceptable for you for you to run late either so it's a, it's a bit of a a, a jewel effect there but when patients arrive late you just need to have strong communication skills that you know you've arrived um, later than your allocated appointment time and if you arrive 10 minutes later or eight minutes later or five minutes later whatever line that you put in the sand then we may need to reschedule your appointments and if it's their first time of doing it then there'll be you know you won't do a charge but you'll reconfirm um, your cancellation policy or failure policy but if they have done it again then you will be charging them and you'll charge them the fee that is appropriate to the appointment. We recommend a pound a, a minute because it's easy for the desk to add up. So it's a half an hour appointment, you know, it would be 30 pounds. If it's 15 minutes, it's 15. Nice and easy sum. And therefore the patients are charged. So you're not taking the money out of the membership. You are charging them for, you know, the fact that they didn't arrive on time for the appointment or they've missed their appointment in entirety. And hopefully by paying that amount of money, you have taught them if you like a lesson and you've confirmed the culture in your practice and the patients won't do it again. You've just got to be really clear and really firm with this because you are going to have a small pool of patients that are always a problem and you are going to have a vast majority of patients that actually do arrive on time for their appointments and therefore you need a system that is fair and consistent for all and it's fair and consistent for all that everybody is seen on time rather than um, you know people that arrive later accommodated. The most difficult part about this is patients that arrive late are normally the really nice people because we in in we we actually uh, talk about character types and you know in dispersant profiling if you want to look that up they're called the I patients and then lovely lovely people and they just get a little bit carried away in their days and they do arrive late for appointments and because they get on well with the front desk team the front desk team are the ones that go oh you know make yourself comfortable in our patient lounge and I'll get you sorted because they like the patient but it has a knock-on effect so we just need to retrain those people but you can do it really really nicely and I just want to lastly say that in hairdressing land a lot of uh, patient you know people that go and see hairdressers are again eye patients but there wouldn't be a late for a hairdressing appointment because it would be rescheduled and Laura and I both know that you know if you arrive late at your salon and you're, you're 10 minutes later than your allocated appointment time you're going to be rebooked so in hairdressing salons, people don't arrive late because they don't want to be rescheduled because their appointment is important to them. And actually, all we need to do is replicate that importance into dentistry. Absolutely. And when it comes to membership, you know, look at your paperwork that, you know, you're handing out to patients. It usually is very clear in there in regards to what they are paying for and what you are going to charge them as well. Make sure that's really clear in all of your documentation, um, and it is essential, and make sure you have a system that the team can use with autonomy, so the team aren't saying, oh, I, you, there may be a charge. It's at the discretion of the manager or the dentist. That means you've got no system whatsoever, so make sure there's a strong system that the team can act 
you know, with autonomy because then it will work really well for you and it will stop those patients messing you around. And people think because they're paying monthly that it's automatically allowed for them to mess you around. It's not that you're you're offering them a more affordable way to pay for their dentistry, aren't you? So, you know, really patients need to understand what they are paying for and what additional charges would be for as well. Over to the next one. Now, this one's quite quite a sad question, Michael. Um, oh, well, quite a sad, sad news. Well, no, it's no sad news. Well, it is sad news, really. So we've got a question here about, um, I'm not sure if this is from a dentist or whether this is from a manager, um, but it starts with, I'm extremely upset to see how our hygienists work. So for me to read that, that is upsetting because I am so passionate about the role of the dental hygienist. I really am. It is one of the most amazing roles in practice, but one of the roles where we tend to underutilize their skill set and usually by you know a huge amount of time and there are there are hygienists that get to utilize their skill set every single day but the vast majority actually aren't and we love working with practices when they've got a good team of hygienists you know to help push them forward it's such great fun it's great um so this question then carries on So I'm extremely upset to see how our hygienists work. No emotions, no enthusiasm, purely scaling and polishing with three to six monthly recalls. They don't promote anything else. How can we change this, please? So I'm reading in between the lines there. And I don't know what you think, Mike, but they don't promote anything else. I'm I'm thinking clinically, not, you know, well, you must buy these TPs. I'm, I'm reading in between the lines that, you know, the reason this person is upset is because patients are all being treated with this standard approach of 30 minute S&P probably. And, and they're not, you know, having clinical systems and pathways to treat patients differently that's what I'm guessing that reads there and we do come across this quite a lot not not all the time but the main problem here is a lack of communication between the owner and what they want and the hygienist understanding what the owner wants and systems to support the hygienist to enable them to get off this treadmill hygienists just get stuck on a treadmill of 30 minute S&P, 30 minute S&P, 30 minute S&P. You know, some of them don't have nurses. That's fine. That's quite normal. The ultimate experience would be to have a nurse. I'm sure we have talked about this before, but it's just a real shame when hygienists get stuck in this treadmill and they can't get out of it. And I would say every hygienist I've worked with wants to get out of that. They're losing their passion. They're losing their mojo and they want it back. They want to utilize their skill set. It's essentially like dentists just doing examinations all day. You know, it can become a bit mundane. So really, it's about drawing a line in the sand and starting afresh and designing what you want. If, however, you have hygienists that aren't passionate and you're not going to get their mojo back, and you know they don't enjoy working in the practice when that's a completely different story and you know I'll I'll never forget um Michael you telling (laughs) telling me about in your practice when uh, the last practice you worked in when you started there that unfortunately you did have to um you know get a new team of hygienists didn't you 
Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, for, for varying reasons, really, not, you know, not every single one of them, but they, there was a number of hygienists in the practice that were working. And, you know, a, a little bit older school um, in terms of, you know, being patronising with language and being bolshy with patients <clears throat> and, you know, obviously providing treatment, uh, you know, in an uncomfortable manner. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's really important. That, I mean, I think hygiene has, has moved so much uh, since, you know, I started in dentistry. I mean, you know, I've been in dentistry now, you know, coming up for 20 years and it has changed so much. But it is all about making sure that the hygienists are now aware that it is about a patient experience. It is about educating the patients in language that they can connect with and understand. And you do need to move that language to work with different types of personality of uh, patients. And they can't have a default setting of communication to each patient and think that if they communicate the same thing to every patient it works because it doesn't work so they do need to have you know armory of language to be able to motivate and inspire their patients and then they need to be looking at the patients and going you know is there active periodontal disease going on here or is it you know um, gum health which can be maintained by a regular appointment either three monthly or six monthly as discussed with the patient but for me, you need to be setting targets. You need to be talking positively with the patient. One of my top tips is with the with the BI score, for an example, that we go, you know, um, thirty percent of your mouth is bleeding. Well, I actually think that's a really negative statement. Actually, you need to say that the good news is, Laura, that seventy percent of your mouth is healthy. There's thirty percent of areas that you know could improve. I've actually, you know, uh, plotted a graph of the areas that can improve. And now I want to show you some educational tips to support you in those areas. So you need to maintain that seventy percent that you're doing really well. And let's set you another target of eighty to eighty-five percent when I next see you. And you then set a really nice goal for a patient, rather than just you know lecturing them about you know, oh, you're still not using that brush. In the upper right quadrant and blah 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 which actually another thing that I always say to practices is if you think about the three month timeline or a six month timeline in between appointments and you think of all the life that's happened to that person within three or six months actually how important is that conversation that you had in the surgery about cleaning their teeth it actually becomes quite a low level priority. So actually you, by setting certain targets and goals for patients, hopefully will allow them to think about it ongoing because if we don't have a goal or we don't have a target, um, then actually we don't function that well, do we, in my opinion. So we do need to be you know, thinking uh, differently. And I want to say to you, if you have got hygienists that are, in a, are not um, effective communicators then you need to bring them in you need to start having one-to-one -one meetings with them and talk about your expectations of the practice you need to bring them into the vision planning and you need to make them feel like they're part of the team and I think that's one of the reasons why hygienists do things their own way because they're not involved in the teamwork they are they might work for two or three different practices and therefore they just do something that works in all three practices rather than doing um, a, a brand experience that matches each practice that they're in and it might be different because they might be in an NHS practice, a mixed practice and a private practice. So that's three different brand um, 
you know, uh, types of experience that they need to develop um, and to be able to, you know, move in, in and out of. So you really do need to get hygienists on board and not ignore them. And I think a, a lot of hygienists are ignored. And we find in team training sessions, don't we, Laura, that mm. you go, where is the hygienist? Well, they're not here. Why aren't they here? Oh, because they're in another practice or they, they didn't think today was important, so they haven't come. So when we're doing courses, we always say that the hygienists need to be there. And I can honestly say, the when hygienists are in meetings, they are amazing. I've met some incredible hygienists yeah. that are full of passion and vigor for the role and you know just want to support practices, but they're just not given the opportunity to uh, communicate how they can make things better and how they can work with the dentists on building up foundations that dentists primarily will enjoy working on and doing you know crown procedures and fillings and things like that because we know that things will last a lot longer for patients and look so much better if we get that relationship right absolutely absolutely and you know it's, it's such a huge area so a meeting schedule a meeting whether this is in an evening whether this is a daytime schedule some training uh, look outside for somebody to come in maybe um, but, you know, and you need to have regular clinical meetings scheduled as well uh, with the team. A lot of people perhaps go out of an evening, go out for a meal, but the, the food, the menu, it's all a bit of a distraction, isn't it? So I appreciate having an evening meeting is a lot easier to arrange, particularly if you've got multiple hygienists. But there are other solutions and other ways. You, know, you can even meet all online. You know, there's online meeting uh, software. You know, there's many different ways that perhaps you can meet um, to really make sure things are proactive and they're happening regularly. I think most people would rather be at home on the Internet and, you know, on their laptop than having to finish work, go to go out for a meal, you know, deal with that, then travel home, you know, make it as, as easy as you can for everybody and see what they'd like to do in regards to meetings as well um, and also get your hygienist to put the agenda together because it's nothing worse for the principal dentist than having to put the meeting together and then feeling like they're just sitting there talking to everyone for an hour while everyone eats curry um it's, it's not not that motivational um we've got one more question here and it's quite i think our answers will be quite similar to um the one about dentures so hopefully that's helped the question is, how can we sell more whitening? We have quite a lot of elderly patients uh, in our practice. Oh, that's a good, I think that's an easy question. I mean, I don't know about you, Laura, but when I was in practice, I, I classified whitening into two areas and that was uh, shade lightening and patients that needed, you know, a whitening experience. And the reason why I say that is because if you're an older patient and you try and sell whitening to them as, as a treatment coordinator, I, I mean, selling's, you know, the wrong uh, word to use there, but, you know, actually to talk about, you know, the benefits of tooth whitening for a patient they don't want a glowing smile. Some of the, obviously some of them do, I'm, you know, you can't say that for every patient, but you know, they misunderstand whitening. And actually, if you're replacing, um, you know, a restorative, like a crown or a large filling, and it's in an area where there are some natural teeth to whiten, I think you can talk about, you know, lifting the shade. And that's why we used to call it shade lightning and talk about, you know, specific treatments to deal with, you know, uh, nine or 10 of their natural teeth. So when the, 
you know, the crown is replaced, it will be matched to that colour and then talk to them about, you know, the ongoing involvement of maintaining that colour. Um, and for me, actually by explaining it that way, many more patients went into tooth whitening from our existing basin that were older. And then, of course, you've got the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, somebody, you know, like of our age or younger that, you know, have not had a lot of dental work done and they, they want, you know, a, a white shade tooth colour and then you need to be involved in a, a, a suitable whitening system to guarantee you know you know the whitest shade I mean we can talk clinically now for a moment but there are you know there are systems out there that can guarantee a B1 shade and therefore you should be working with those systems they'll be more expensive than shade tooth whitening but you need to talk about the experience the you know dealing with sensitivity because sensitivity management as we know is a big part of whitening and what pe puts people off um, and I think you know you need to advertise that one um, rather than trying to advertise shade tooth lightning I think that comes into an existing patient experience or something to talk about uh, whilst you're in practice what do you think Laura? No absolutely you've, you've hit the nail on the head and what um, most of us have probably done in practice at some point you know to to convert more patients to you know to talk even just to get a conversation going about whitening is two things firstly you pick the wrong patient to sort of try a little you know oh have you thought about whitening your teeth script on you pick your patients that have been coming to see you for years you know them they won't you think that you're trying to sell to them and they're the wrong patients because they're usually the s type character in disc they're loyal and um, they're lovely people and that's why you try that script on them but they're s characters and they do not care about aesthetics whatsoever so it just goes over their head the second thing is the smile questionnaire and the smile questionnaire is wonderful for new patients I think it can really help people to open up however you know I have given these forms to every patient as they walk in for routine appointments and they get annoyed and they get frustrated and I just don't think they work and they do look like a sales form and I would say, you know, it's much better to take Michael's advice and do what, what he's suggesting than to get a smile questionnaire out and launch it at every patient as they walk through the door. Oh, and by the way, we've also got to do this new, you know, data protection um, consent form and blah, blah, blah. It's just people hate forms. So it's much better that things happen in that natural conversation and that you have case studies available yet again so that people can see um you know if they, if they are interested that you can show them before and after pictures of similar situations similar patients to themselves age you know male or female that type of thing i hope that has helped so that's all we've got time for on this month's hangout thank you ever so much for joining us we wish you uh, the best of luck with all the changes that you are going to implement into your practice this month. And we'll be back next month for the next Horton Hangout podcast. Uh, but for us, it is goodbye until then. Thank you ever so much from me, Laura Horton. And from me, Michael Bentley.